Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg. This is Reconstructed Faith. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Reconstructed Faith podcast. Um, I'm here in the studio with my partners in crime, Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg, and we are uh, talking, kind of unpacking and commenting on the third uh, section or session or whatever you want to call it of the Mm -hmm. David Smalley interview that we had back in December. Um, And so I'm excited to kind of wrap this up because today we're going to be talking a lot about morality, um, of God's hiddenness, mm-hmm. um, and there'll there'll be some other things kind of uh, interspersed in there. But oh, let me throw it over to Chris Sherrod um, first. We're kind of talking about. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> sorry, I look surprised. That's great. No, oh, we're on a podcast. We'll, we'll talk in, sorry, we're talking about morality, um, and kind of not just the problem of evil, but you know we've already talked some about that. But how you know it's people who talk about you know identifying with objective moral truth but is there moral truth and you know yeah. I, am i really can i can i be uh i, mean, I can't even think of the word right now okay well we'll talk about it yeah <laughs> great so in the uh sorry also for throwing you okay. off okay <laughs> no in the interview with um with david i was trying to remember the the name of the guy who wrote a book and i looked it up since then uh, the guy's name is Robert Wright, and he wrote a book back in the early 90s called The Moral Animal, um, Why We Are the Way We Are, and it's all the science of evolutionary psychology. So just to recap real quick, I mentioned in this book, but mm-hmm. he he basically says in his book that the, the human mind, for example, like any other organ, is designed to for the purpose of transmitting genes into the next generation. And so um, that when you think of feelings and thoughts that that, that creates. Um, so the feeling of hunger um, is there because it helped keep our ancestors alive um, and reproduce and take care of their young. Feelings of lust, and this is what I was going to mention in this story, I mean in the interview, um, and, and that includes sex organs, are here because they aided to reproduction directly. And so any ancestors who lacked hunger or... Um, sex organs or whatever, they wouldn't have been our ancestors. They would they would die out. So the idea is they studied um, these silverback gorillas. In, in this article, they highlight this. And mm-hmm. Time Magazine did kind of a summary of this book. And they found that the, the, the big giant male silverbacks that are just enormous right, right. would have a harem around them. They would gather around them a harem, and they would fight off other males to get um, more um, females. And the motive was, I am trying to survive over and above the other males, and so I'm going to dominate over them, and I'm going to have as many females as I can, and that makes it more likely that my genes are going to get into the next generation. So not community thinking at all. It's very selfish. And then the article goes on, or even in the book it goes on, and transfers that idea to, so why are we as humans unfaithful in our relationships and in marriage and things like that? And his argument was, well, this is leftover from the the desire to survive and that the the apes were showing. 
And uh, that's why it happened. That's why we're like that. So when I did that in the in the in the conversation with David, he brings up meerkats, right? Of how they're thinking per- of the rest. I of I think them. he talked about prairie dogs. Oh, prairie but dogs. I, but I, I think, think it's meerkats. Both. Okay, great. Yeah, oh, perfect. Both. Okay, great. So that they will signal the rest of the of the right. tribe or whatever uh, and warn them. And so why is that? And you can say a lot of things about, well, God made it that way so that they would survive, <laughs> yeah, exactly. so they wouldn't. But what's interesting in a lot of the claims that he makes is then he said, you know, if a chimpanzee rapes another chimpanzee, the whole group gets mad at him and, and all those things. Right, right. Like he, he, he threw out all those claims, basically didn't address what I said with, uh, with the silverback. But this is where... It's one of those, like, are we going to go, in my brain, I'm thinking, like, are we going to talk about all this? And, like, me going, uh-uh, uh-huh, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just didn't have time, but it's him, uh, you know, explaining examples. But I sent Chris this clip not long after that because I did a real quick research on meerkats. I'm like, okay, so what do we learn about meerkats? Is that uh, is that valid to say that they're very selfless and uh, noble and this is what led to where our society is today? And... Um, one of the things, one of the articles, uh, it cited a 2016 study uh, in the journal Nature, and the researchers had, had looked over a thousand different species of animals, and they found that meerkats were the most murderous, <laughs> like outright murder. They said about 20% of meerkat deaths are actually murders, what they called murders, like he just went up and cold-blooded killed, and then he talked about how there's all this territory fighting and stuff. So even with that, I'm like, okay, so that's a terrible example. Like that's right. <laughs> if that's what is led to our morality today, and you're holding that up is we should we should be like meerkats. It's like no, that's wrong. But then even the idea where we're saying those are murders right. means we we sense that something shouldn't shouldn't take place. <laughs> but then I did a really sim- simple study of uh, chimpanzees, and all of these articles just yep. talked about how they are ruthless. They're natural born killers, right? And um, yeah, Jane Goodall did all kinds of research and. Oh, to show yeah. they they're not this docile docile little happy and, little culture and, and they some of the articles I read uh, struggled to actually call it rape but they for sure would talk about sexual harassers sexual intimidators right like they would you know totally beat up the females and make sure that they were submitting so that when it's time to mate they knew like I better just comply mm-hmm. and so the whole idea that he threw out there that you've actually got these this code of us watching out for each other is like not true at all. And then you even mentioned, and I didn't even know this, but you said it was well known that like dolphins are some of the worst Yeah, as far as um, sexual harassment and and Mm. forcing. Yeah. A pod of males will gather around a female and not let her escape as they take turns. Right. Mating with her. Right. And she's no matter what she tries to do to escape, they will batter her back into the center of them. Yeah. And again, I mentioned this in our last thing about, your definition of evil, where would that come from if there's no God? In one of these articles, I was reading, it was seven adorable animals that are also murderous monsters. Which <laughs> 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 is funny, but one of the subtitles, when they when they covered dolphins, is number one. It says, their their words were, dolphins are unspeakably evil. Wow. Interesting. That's an interesting And language. that is such an interesting moral language to go, how are you defining evil? Because right. if science is all we have, and at one point in our discussion with David, he he... He hit his knuckles on the yes, table yeah. like, this is how we know stuff. What It's empirical. All science can do is observe. It can't make any moral judgments. Mm-hmm. So you can say this animal, these these chimps or dolphins force the female 
to, and this was the result, she was impregnated, whatever it is, but you can't say that was wrong for them to do. It's just animals being animals. And yet at the same time, in this book by Robert Wright, he still implies like, but we don't have to live like these animals. We don't have to, as if there's some morality behind the morality. Right. Which you don't have if there's no God. You can't say like, but we can rise above that and be civilized. But it's like, but what if I don't want him? Mm. Who says where is any sense of oughtness or right? Or why do we look at that with dolphins and go, that shouldn't happen? You're just... You're just being an animal. Right. You're talking about rising above and stuff. I'm sorry if I'm cutting you off, Chris That's Sheard. But that kind of led into what what you talked about in uh, with 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 David and the ad- addressing like so you're saying morality is just complexity. Does complexity make us more responsible for what we do? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's so it's like is th- is that that's all and, and that's what we talked about. Oh no, have have we've done the well at the time people hear this podcast, well mm-hmm. they have heard the podcast on intuition that we did last week. That probably, probably posts to actually may post today. Yeah, I may week. yeah. Okay. That's what I'm talking about with that is is the to assign meaning to it requires something other than just animal behavior uh-huh. <clears throat> to assign moral meaning. So if there isn't a divine presence, if there's not a God, and if there's nothing special or supernatural about us, the only thing that we have an advantage over dolphins or hyenas or whatever is complexity. That's it. Mm-hmm. And so if it's not immoral when chimpanzees do it, why is it immoral when we do it? Because the only advantage we have is complexity. And so somewhere in David's worldview and in the naturalist worldview, either there is no such thing as morality other than just assigned by humans, that we just decide mm-hmm. this is moral and immoral. And in fact, when we talk about morality, that's why, I mean, again, this is one of those conversations David and I have had, and I don't, I don't know if he remembers it because he has lots and lots and lots of these same conversations over and over again. <clears throat> but, but the, uh, is, is was me asking about abortion. That's why I went down the conversation of abortion with him when he talked about, well, we can create an objective standard of morality, and it is the combination of the veil of ignorance along with human flourishing. That you put those two things together, what causes human flourishing and doesn't, and then you can decide case by case based on the veil of ignorance. Well, if I don't know what's going to happen, and, and that's why I took him, again, for me, that was a script. Like, okay, yeah. we've had this exact conversation before, so let's unpack the exact conversation. Um, and it wasn't the exact conversation because in the past he would say, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. That makes it tough because if I was the baby, I don't know if I would want to be aborted or not. But now that now he's got a different answer, which is, yes, if I was that baby, I would want to be aborted um, because apparently I'm not wanted or, or whatever. If the mother doesn't want me to be alive, then then I wouldn't want to be alive. Yeah. Um, but the problem is that doesn't solve the problem because I wouldn't. If I was the baby, you I would, would want, want to, to live even if it was in an unloving, unloving family, right? And and I'm not going to call into question what he's saying. Like I'm not going to question him at face value, like yeah. whether he's telling the truth or not about what he would actually choose in that moment. Um, uh, I suspect if all of his family came to him now and said, we don't want you, he would not be okay with them taking his life. Um, when he's older, 
and the family says, we don't want you anymore, he probably would not be okay with being killed by them. But so he, so I don't know that he's right about that, that he would be even be telling the truth from his own perspective. But yeah. even if he was, that still doesn't create a good standard because I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And so who gets to decide right. whose answer to give, mine or David's? And so I would say human flourishing requires us to rescue unborn children, even by his standard of objective, which is not objective, morality. Now, he's right that ours isn't objective in one sense as well. We'll get to that in a second. It's objective for humans. Right. It's not objective for God. But it's a, um, uh, or it is objective from God, but for a different reason. We'll, we'll talk about that. But I, I remember having a lengthy conversation with David about this whole evolution question. And I was stunned, and I'm always stunned, at how poor often humanist understanding of evolution is. And we don't have to spend a lot of time unpacking. We do that in another podcast someday. Okay. But, but evolution does not serve a species. It serves an individual. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not, um, our, I think it's Robert J. Gold, Gould. <clears throat> Stephen J. Gould? Stephen J. Gould, thank you. Uh, the, mis, the measure of man or mismeasure of man. And it is, it's, it is, he isn't actually knows what he's talking about. And he, he talks about what evolution actually is. And anytime you ask someone the question like, why do giraffes have long necks? And they say to reach the leaves at the top of the trees. That is why did, why that is not, that is teleology, not evolution. Evolution doesn't have the capacity to intentionally lead to a result. And so it just says, listen, if one has an advantage and it can get food easier and therefore have more offspring and like that, it, it is, it, 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 it does not affect it. Usually often <coughs> evolution is a source for, uh, extinction. Mm. It would be the m- number one, outside of humans, probably the number one cause for extinction yeah. would be evolution. Obviously, most creatures have to die out in competition in evolutionary theory. And even, we've talked about this topic <clears throat> briefly, or we, I don't know when it's going to get posted, but <coughs> even the idea of survival of the fittest or natural selection is not inherently atheistic. It's just, it's a fact. Like if you're right. older or weaker or slower... <laughs> You're right. crippled, you're going to die. Like it's, right. You're and, less likely to reproduce. Right, and and you can even say that that's God's kind of screening mechanism of making sure that the, the species is staying strong right? because the weaker ones are, are dying out. It's it's just, go ahead, you're going to say something. I was going to ask you, yeah. so you're talking about that with evolution. How would you address in, now that you're able to kind of sit back and think about it rather than in the kind of the tumult of Right. All of the conversation when he talked about evolved compassion, yeah, within yeah. that context, because it doesn't seem it just seems like when you take into account entropy, right, and also the the evolution really is not it's not the developing some it's really for the individual, right? How do you take something where that is very much for someone else or for something else. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you would address it, but that was just, I was like, huh, I wonder what your thoughts, extended thoughts would be on. Yeah. On I think if you're staying faithful to your worldview, right. then any feelings or emotions or whatever you have is still genetic wiring. It just right. evolved that way. Right. And what that means is um, the difference between Mother Teresa and Hitler's morality is the same difference as blue eyes versus brown eyes. Mm-hmm. Like it just happened that way. Like right. it's it's just a, a cold hard fact of nature. Um, that's the fundamental distinction between uh, people. It's just your chromosomal chromosomal uh, makeup. 
And when you start saying it that way, people naturally go, nah, it's more than just blue right. eyes versus brown. <laughs> right, like there's right. something in it that we just know. And yet if there's no real morality, this is what's interesting. The guy, Robert Wright, that I keep referring to, he said, um, since our behavior is determined by our genetic drive to reproduce, here's his quote. He says, it is natural for both men and women, it's sometimes under some circumstances, to commit adultery or to sour on a mate or to suddenly find a spouse unattractive, irritating, wholly unreasonable. It is similarly natural to find some attractive colleague superior on all accounts, on all accounts to the sorry wreck of a spouse you're saddled with. <laughs> <laughs> but what that means is whatever's natural is simply just what you do. Like anything that happens, it's that's natural. Right. And if you're doing something that is a statistical anomaly like pedophilia or rape or whatever, all we can say is, well, most people don't do that. Most right. people have evolved to say that's wrong. But you can't actually say, no, there's an actual violation of someone as a person that happened. One of those, this is crazy to read, but I hope this isn't too offensive. In one of these articles I was reading, it talks about how seals have now taken up raping penguins. Oh my gosh. Seriously. Like it's like a, a crazy thing that they don't just eat them, but they actually, because we think of them as these cute little whatever, but in this uh, polar biology, this BBC thing, um, they, they've, they're highlighting even that seals are doing this. And you're just like, wow, we are repulsed by that. But then you just go, all, all we can say, if there is no spiritual side of anything and there's no God and we're all just naturalists, all I can do is go, that's just what we observe. Right. Like you can't say that's wrong. That shouldn't happen. So again, compassion. But you're saying that sh you're saying if all there is is a natural explanation, humans doing that would be the same exactly. thing. Exactly. It's the it's same. It's just more complex. And it bothers us. And right. we're, you can say, like, you should know better. But it's like, but if I'm really just an animal, right. why can't I just live like an animal? And, and people are going to appeal to you, but there's something else, civilization, like above and beyond behind this morality that. That if we there's just happen no to evolve along a different line yeah. than seals did. Right. So seals, it's okay for seals to do it because they're just seals. They evolved along that line. Right. It's not okay for humans to do it because humans evolved along a different line. And that feels very empty mm -hmm. as a moral argument. To answer your question also, uh, Colson, I, I can't come up with one. And I, I, I went through a long period of time, several years, where I studied evolutionary theory because I, I don't think evolutionary theory is contradictory to Scripture. And so I was really fascinated by it. But secular evolutionary theory is contradictory to Scripture and reason. Like, I can't—this is one of the examples. You need a source for, for morality. So there's four, four of us guys in the room here. If all four of us have evolved from chimps, and we have chimp morality, meaning—or or, or go further back. You know, whatever it is, we have— uh, amoeba morality. We have rat morality. Okay. And one of us, so of the four rats in the room, one of us is born with a fluke mutation to care about the other three. Like I, I now I'm, I'm concerned for the three of you. I want to make sure you've got enough food, um, that you get to mate as much as you want, even if it costs me something like, and I have a fluke mutation for that that you don't have, okay, which of us is more likely to get to spread our genes to the next generation? The nice rat who cares about you or the three sociopath rats who are just rats? 
How, how long does the nice rat even survive in that world? So you literally have to have essentially a tribe of people evolving simultaneously the concept of compassion. And, and that does not seem rational to me. How do you get, it's not enough for an individual one, the one nice guy had to evolve or girl had to evolve in an otherwise pool of people who had no morality, no concept for right and wrong beyond their own flourishing because evolution teaches the individual to flourish. Morality is based on the flourishing of the individual in particular at the expense of all competitors. And why would I want to help rescue you if I'm endangering my own life? Right. Like, why should I show compassion? Especially since you're one of the mean rats. It's exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But what that means is, and this is where people, I think, don't, aren't thinking through with with this with the ramifications. All that would mean is that good and evil, right and wrong. Right. Good is literally whatever aids in my survival to pass on my genes to the next generation which sends the opposite of civilization and kindness right. and compassion. But that's really all you're left with. Right. And, and even, if, even, if I, even if the majority of you were nice rats and I decided that I'm going to be the selfish rat, you couldn't say objectively you really should be nice. <laughs> right. we, just, we just don't like that you're not nice. But I'm going to invent a religion to force you. Right, right. It would just be like, okay, well, that's your opinion. And just because there's more of you doesn't mean that now all of a sudden you know, there's some objective thing over all of us. And so... It's just still so flimsy to try to base it on. So I want to, I want to do one more example. Yeah. There's yeah. a great story. The The Ones Who Walk Away from Amalus is a book written years ago uh, in about the time I was born, back in the early 70s, um, by Le Guin. They walk away from what? Walk away from Amalus, O-M-E-L-A-S. Oh. Okay. <clears throat> and, and even though I don't remember all the details of the story because it's been too long, um, the basic principle is that it is a, um, there's a summer festival in a utopian city. And the utopian city and the summer festival, the prosperity depends entirely on the perpetual misery of just one child. Mm. And so every everybody gets to have a utopian experience, except the <laughs> consequence of that utopian experience is there's one child who has to be abandoned, neglected, and periodically abused. And when that's done, the rest of the culture gets to have utopia. In, in any objective, in any subjective moral that talks about human flourishing, this would be an easy yes. Now, if David said, what you don't know if you're going to be the one or if you're going to be the all the rest, any of the rest of them, like, right, that would be terrible. But how selfish would you have to be to not be willing to be the one? I mean, that would say there's something really wrong with you. Like, if I knew that by me being tortured for the rest of my life, every one else would have a utopian experience. I'm morally obligated to accept that. And and so it's a anytime you talk about the additive and negative effect of of um this type of stuff, that's you end up with this story ends up being the question. Is it okay if it only involves evil, intentional choosing evil for one person if all the rest of us get to thrive? Animals don't ask that question. Right. There's something inspired in us that asks a question like that. And I don't believe that it's merely uh, complexity. I think there is an there's a concept of morality that morality exists, and that there are certain things that that we know are complex moral conversations. And I, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> okay. I think that's we great. Have that. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. One thing I didn't mention 
I, I hadn't heard the, now I've heard it a few times because I looked it up, but the veil of ignorance idea. Yeah. <clears throat> I realized, I was like, I, I think Jesus actually put that in a different way. Yes, Just yeah. do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's like, yes. that's the simple morality that we should always follow. Yes. Um, so it's not like, because when I heard that, I was like, oh, okay, so that must be some new idea. And then I went, wait a second, that's what Jesus said. That you yeah. just consider others, I'm going to treat you the way I want to be treated. Yes. Yeah. There's, okay. That's, that's all over the place. That is a that is a great example of how to make moral, one of the ways to make moral decisions. Definitely. But we do believe in the divine uh, morality, meaning that there is still a God who it is, though it is somehow, quote, subjective is the idea that it's subjective from his end. He gets to change his mind. And he's not changing his mind. He is applying the truth of morality and justice differently in different situations because, as we talked about, morality is applied differently in different situations. Um, to lie to the officer about how fast I was going would be immoral. To lie to my wife about the surprise party we're planning for her would not be. To to lie to the uh, Nazis about where the, the Jews are that you're hiding hidden might yeah. not be immoral. And so, there, of course, it's complex, and that's why... The application is different. Typically, um, it's not okay to kill every man, woman, and child in a fortified city. <clears throat> Gosh, who would know? What kind of perspective would you have to have to know when the correct application of justice is to kill somebody and when the correct application of justice is to not kill somebody? Well, you would need a command from someone who has the right perspective, a full perspective. That's called divine command theory, that that humans are not capable of making those calls in an objective way. So we need an external source to make that call for us. So yes, there might be times when it would be morally appropriate to wipe out a city full of people, but no human could know when that was in and of themselves. We might have to figure it out in the middle of war or something like that and try to solve it. But we would say, yeah, I don't, I don't want to have to make that call. And when we do make those calls, like dropping a bomb on, Hiroshima, we spend the rest of human history questioning that decision. Was it right? Was it not? Look at all the data. And we spent all that time doing that because we essentially made, we played God in a situation which maybe we were right in doing, maybe not. That's why we need a divine command when it comes to these moral decisions because we, the standard is no, you do not kill innocent, you do not take innocent life. That is the standard. Under what condition, so the standard is you do not lie. Under what conditions can I lie? Well, you would, it would need to be answerable to the divine command when it would be okay. Is there a higher call from that divinity? And that's what I think I yeah. tried to explain to him. That, you did. That there's a, a, you're not being relativistic. You're looking at the situation going, okay, which moral standard is more important than I need to apply right here? Right. So human life being protected right. is higher in this instance uh, than... Along the divine command authority structure. <clears throat> right. That's what, it, but even we couldn't make that call if there wasn't an authority structure telling us how to prioritize those. Right. Yeah. And it's not, it's not at all the same as like in Islam, there's kind of a blanket statement like you're okay to kill infidels. Right. Wherever you find them, actually. Literally, it says that wherever you find them. And you can lie and wait for them. You can, you can be deceitful, all those things. So you have specific instances in the Bible where God says, this is what I want you to do. It's not this blanket like anytime you want to take over a city, you know, or like in a right. kingdom of heaven. God right. wills it. God wills it. God wills it. Like that's yep. that's gonna be what you say every time. Hey, you uh, now know that reference. 
Oh, I watched that for the first time it. the other night. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, it was really great. Okay, great. Well, okay. So along the same thread of divinity, you know, we've talked about talked about kind of moral standards and stuff like that. If there are other moral uh, themes that you want addressed, please holler at us. Send me an email. Um, but now, can we kind of talk a little bit about uh, divine hiddenness? Divine hiddenness. Yeah. This was intriguing that that David brought this up, and clearly, this is new to him. I've never heard him reference it, but I haven't been following him for the last few years. And and he, correct me if I'm wrong. This yep. he said this is like one of the main things that's difficult for him right now. He he thinks it's the main thing that's difficult for us as Christians. Gotcha. Okay. Um, it's Thank another you. it's another spot on the boat that he can that he that he's going to be picking to go like ups. I found another issue for Christians. And and that is which I I think it's a fascinating conversation and I know we don't want to go super long here. But man, what a what a fascinating idea. The idea is <clears throat> if someone says what would make you believe? Like what would it take for you to believe? And and David's answer now, which I think is dead I think is very accurate. I think it's a great conversation is I don't know. And I think that's being honest. I don't think he does know. It's the same answer I give when someone says, what would cause you to not believe? Mm-hmm. I say, I don't know. It's That's a psychological state you're talking about. If I got hit hard enough in the head with a hockey stick, that might do it. I might change my psychological... Like I, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, now, I can give you a list of things that I could say, this would, I mean, this would cause me to change my beliefs, or this would cause me to change my beliefs. But what would make me become an atheist? I, I don't know. There's a lot of hurdles to jump. I got to admit it. Now... And he said, but the answer to his question, he said, I don't know. What would cause me to believe? I don't know. But God does know. And so he could put those things in place for me to believe anytime he wanted to. Mm-hmm. God knows what it would take, and God is powerful enough to cause it. So now, essentially, David, believing or not, is God's responsibility, not David's. Right. And because David doesn't know what it would be, but God does. I mean, and he even referenced um, Satan. Remember right, when right, he was yes. just saying, like, he knew it would, he was like, well, if God showed me, it wouldn't be him removing my free will because Lucifer knew God and, and still rebelled. Yeah, and still rebelled. Right. So I would be able to then know that he existed and then be able to make my own decision. Right. If I if I'm remember correctly, that's what he said. He could still make the decision to follow him. Right. That's right. Um, just like Satan did. Now I don't I don't put Dave in the same class as Satan. Oh no, no, no. Sorry. I was not <laughs> no, no. trying to say <laughs> I'm that. I'm being funny. You didn't say that. <laughs> okay. He did in the podcast. He said that. And again, it was it was late for me and my was I was already in the weary mode and like we, we only have we've already gone two hours and blah blah blah. So um but yeah, I, that would have been my joke earlier in the night would have been I don't gosh gosh, David, I don't think of you as so equivalent to Satan with this. But I actually mean that as in I don't know that David or I or us have the same intellectual capacity that Satan does to be convinced of something like a divinity and still rebel against it. Like I don't, I'm not convinced that that is an actual statement that's true, but it certainly would keep him from being an atheist. He would, he would then certainly know there was a God. And so that's what hit the point he's making. Um, Okay. So what, what were your, what were your thoughts on that one? I think there's a fascinating conversation there. So the answer is easy if you're a Calvinist. You just go, <laughs> yeah. oh, yep. just God made it, or you don't believe. <laughs> there are a lot of examples of God doing miraculous stuff in front of people, and they still don't believe. So right. We mentioned Pharaoh already. Um, Judas hanging out with Jesus for three years. The Pharisees watching miracle after miracle, 
in their presence. Right. And they're upset that it's just on the wrong day of the week. Right. And you, and you just go, how can you be so um, hardened to that? The, uh, I, I think that the putting the, the onus on God is making even a bolder claim that um, it's fully God's responsibility, ability, responsibility to reveal himself um, sufficient for me. Like I right, have, right. I, it has to be this, this, and this. And I read Romans 1 a couple weeks ago that just says, actually, according to the Bible, just from creation, right. God is saying, you're without excuse. Like you can look at creation and figure out, this is when we talked about the cosmological argument. And the words that God uses even there are, it's plain to them, God has made it plain to them. Um, they know there's a God, they're without excuse. So is if if you're asking, I want him to write a message in the sky that says, David, yeah, I really do exist. That's uh, you could you'd even call it what the Bible would compare to testing God. Like you're right, you're, right. you're you're putting God to the test in an unreasonable way, not saying give me enough. And so I think the response that I would make is there's sufficient evidence. It might not be everything that you want it to be, but I think that his his, his statement that if I'm the one who's asleep. I'm fully asleep, and you're supposed to wake me up for my show, and I'm totally drooling all over the place and out, and you don't wake me up. It's your fault. So the analogy, I think, breaks down when you start to go, but there is an awareness, the Bible says, that we have. There's a conscience we talked about, that there's a moral awareness. There's evidence around you. You've got a historical record of supernatural stuff happening. You've got Jesus, life, death, and resurrection. So you have all of these things in place Right. Not to mention the ones we already mentioned, the cosmological argument, teleological, right. the fact that the earth is the exact you know, size, tilt, distance from the sun, all those. Like, how many more things do you need? And I think it's a, I think it's a cop-out to go, I don't know. I just right. don't know what would convince me. Because then it would be like what he said. Well, it could be God writing his name in the sky, but then I could say, oh, but it's just an acid trip. He, he actually is quoting Lawrence Krauss, right. who answered that way. Right, and that's where you go, okay, it just <clears throat> sounds like nothing is going to change your mind, and you're not being completely intellectually honest. Right. Like, So what if we brought someone in here, and they were crippled, and then you you literally, without a doubt, saw them, now they can walk. Right. Would you say, oh my goodness, I believe, or it'd be, well, but there could be some random... Right, you, genetic, and you just go okay. So it just sounds like you're, 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 you're saying ultimately nothing will change my mind. Right. I don't know. That's to me. That's kind of the way it sounded because I think the asleep versus got to be woken up. I think it's like yes. he is waking you up, but it's just not the way you want him. You want to be woken up, right? It's you're, once again you're giving God all types of power and authority and denying his existence mm-hmm. simultaneously. And so that's that's there. I, I get and you're that. telling him how he has to reveal himself to you, right? Like he's like he's obligated to do that any more than he already has, right? And and so you know, and I think you referenced when we were talking with him. There is a little bit of so if it, you know, he's saying it wouldn't require me him to destroy my free will. Okay, but what if? How do you know that? Like, what if it did require him to destroy your free will in order for you to believe? Would you want him to do that? Like, would you be okay with that? Would you go? Listen, if, if if the truth is there is a God, and I will never believe unless he crushes my free will and turns me into an automaton, then I won't believe. Okay, do you want him to crush your free will and turn you into an automaton? Well, ironically, if you answer that question, yes, then you probably are willing to believe. 
Mm. If you answer that question, no, then you're not willing to believe. Like it's still the same conversation. I would, for example, if someone asked me that, would you want God to crush your free will and turn you into a robot in order for you to believe? I would go, yes, please. Yes, do that. If that's what it takes for me to believe, do that. I suspect David would say, no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be a robot. I'd rather be free and ignorant than to, you know, whatever. So I don't know that, and, and we were out of time. There's really no way to ask that. I think the question of divine hiddenness, it is key, and he is right that God would know what it would take. Now, I'm not convinced, and I, this can sound un, un, unkindly dubious, <clears throat> and I'm sorry if it does, but he, he I'm going to take the shot because he hinted at the idea that there might be another atheist in the room other than just him, and he was looking at me at the moment when he said that on the podcast. They're like, there may already be another unbeliever in the room, or unbeliever, you know, at the church. In fact, they might be right here in the room, and he looked at me, um, and I just, I think he's probably as motivated to me convert to his side as, as I am to his, but... Um, which is, is not the case at all. Um, I'm definitely a believer, but so I'll, I'll take the shot. I'm not convinced that David's not already in the position of Lucifer, meaning he does know it, that this is a rational thing to believe and isn't doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why you get an analogy like God is like an abusive father. I think that's why you get an analogy like that. I think that reveals that David does believe there is a father he just doesn't like the way he fathers. And so he has rejected him as a father, not rejected him as an entity that exists, though that's what he says, but has actually rejected him as a father. Now, that can be super offensive because I'm telling David what he believes, and I don't mean that's not what I'm actually trying to do. I'm not convinced that's not a possibility, though, as well, just like he's not convinced it's not a possibility. I'm not an atheist in disguise here at the church, I think. So... um but I think I think we're stuck back to if if God if I wanted to be woken up by God the way I wanted to be woken up, that's fine. It it means that that, that in therapy we call that a boundary. That I've said, unless you're willing to do this, I'm not going to believe in you. Okay. If God has set a boundary, well, I'm not willing to do that for you. Then we're stuck. And that is a part of free will. A part of free will is when someone draws a boundary for us and we then have to decide. So am I going to follow through with this or not? And that is part of what this conversation is about. And that, I don't think that's about divine hiddenness. I think that's about human freedom as much as anything. Could God force David to believe in him? I, I, I would say theologically, yes. And any of us. Is God obligated to force us to believe in him? That doesn't make him God anymore. That makes him our pet mm-hmm. and or our maid to wake us up in the morning or our butler who's supposed to wake us up in the morning. And, and I don't think God, as much as God loves us, I don't think he's always willing to take that role in our lives. Um, anyway, I, I think it's a great question, and I've always thought that's a fascinating question. Um, we had a guy at the church where I was before who said, if I see a miracle, I will believe. And it was a big deal. And he came to church week after week. And at that church, we had a young lady get diagnosed with a real problem with her, um, her guts. And, and it was really bad. And, and they were very worried about her survival. And they had all this, the doctors did all this stuff. And we prayed for weeks for her. 
and made reports to the church. They brought her in. The leaders of the church all laid hands on her and prayed for her. And the next week, she started getting better suddenly. Nothing had worked. Suddenly, she's getting better. And within three weeks, she's well, totally well. And so the pastor sat down with the man and said, okay, you were there the night we prayed. He came and just to watch us pray over her. Wow. You were there the night we prayed for her. You, you were there for all the reports and there for all the end. And he said, I just think there's probably another explanation. Mm-hmm. And so, like, okay, well, fair enough. That This is between. And so this for us as Christians, when it's us, we continue need to continue to wrestle to reconstruct something. If we need to deconstruct our concept of Father or deconstruct our concept of God, that's fine. And we just need to keep reconstructing something. We need to continue to build on that. And so I think divine hiddenness is a fun conversation, and it's a hard conversation. I don't know why God doesn't force people. Yeah. Um, because I'm not God, I don't know. And that he's not told me. And that's not his job to explain himself to me at all. At all. We talked about that, and we talked about the putting God on trial conversation, mm-hmm. which is a tough one. Yep. Anyway, what if God has already done what God knows is sufficient for David to believe? And yeah. yet David doesn't believe. That's that means God is generous enough to give him that choice. True. Rather than to force it. So that's awesome. There you well, go. Well, that's we tough. are really grateful for for David oh Smalley yes. uh coming on. And I know the I there's a lot of themes from this that we'll continue to pick up on. I mean, even from this last session, if you've listened to that, uh, if you haven't, please, please do. Some yeah. of this conversation will be a lot more yep. clear. Um, but some of that even has to do with the authority of scripture and stuff like that. So this we'll this have a whole is, season on the authority is, of scripture. There's a lot of really yep. great stuff. Um, but yeah, if you have any questions uh, about anything that you listen to, please shoot me an email. And yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructive Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up. Trust God. Search for answers.